listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I'm going to continue um, ministering on something that I started a, a, a few weeks, about a month ago actually, and then taught on for two weeks, and then we skipped a couple weeks because of some other things. And I'm going to finish it up today, and this is going to be, I'm going to give you a lot of really good stuff really fast, and so just uh, buckle your seatbelt, and you're going to be really, really blessed by what I'm going to share today. But I started sharing on having a prosperous soul and what it looks like to have a prosperous soul. And if we can pull uh, third, third John uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, there's a lot of numbers in there. I, I get it confused. I think I've got it right. Third John chapter 1 and verse 2, if we can pull that up there. Uh, that would be great, and I want to look at this. And actually, I'm going to give you a second to do this. Can you pull it up in the new King? I'm sorry, the original King James version. Is there, are you able to do that back there? I want to pull that up because I want to look at. It, it says it a little bit different here, but uh, I really believe that the Lord, in every sense of the word, wants us to prosper in our life in every area of our life. And just from a just from a foundational standpoint, God is good. And if he's a good God, why would he ever want bad things for us? Amen? I mean, that's pretty reasonable. He's a good father, and he wants good things for us. And so we have an opportunity to cooperate with the Lord and see God's goodness, to see God's best, to see God's prosperity, if you will, manifest in every area of our life. And when we talk about it, it uh, manifesting in prosperity, it's not just finances, although I believe it includes that. You know, I meet a lot of people that, that they still, they say, well, I'm not into the whole prosperity gospel. I am into the prosperity gospel. That's what the gospel was there for, to prosper us. It wasn't there to prosper God. He's already prospered. But we get thrown by the word prosperity oftentimes because of things that we've seen or heard with people doing weird things with money. And that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that God wants us to, to have the best in this life. And the way that we have the best is that we first has to have to prosper in our soul. And I, and I want you to see this. Now, in the original, in the, in the New King James, excuse me, which is what I normally use, he says um, that, that I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers or just as. But this says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. And I love that, that it's above all things that you would prosper and be in health just as or according to how your soul prospers. I can remember being at times in my life where I was struggling with, with things. I was struggling with ideas. I was struggling with identity. I was struggling with sin. I was struggling with many things. And I looked at people who were not, who were not struggling and I was looking at how I couldn't seem to overcome things and how it seemed like they walked in things so well. And what I didn't realize was the difference between me and them wasn't that God loved them more. It wasn't that the word of God worked better for them. It wasn't that God just somehow had just thrusted this favor on them to where they had things working out in their life and, and I didn't and I wasn't in God's favor because God didn't love them. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. But the difference was the way they thought, the way they believed, and the way they responded in the area of their soul. Now, I don't want to go back and give a, a too much uh, backdrop here, but basically, 
We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. A lot of people get the soul and the spirit confused, but they're actually two different things. Your spirit is the part of you that got born again when you got saved, but your, your body is your, just your, your flesh suit. Amen. It's what we are, are activated in. It's what we operate in here on the earth. But your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. And the, the way that we see God's best start to manifest and work in our life to where when we see other people and they have things going well for them, we don't have to sit and wonder, why is it going well for them and will it ever go well for me? The answer is yes, it can, but we have to change the area of our soul, which is again our mind, our will, our emotions, and our conscience. This is the key to victory in, in the Christian life. It's not... It's, <laughs> It's not getting into some, you know, huge level of faith and, and, and pleading and interceding and, you know, grabbing the altar of the, the, the horns of the altar and shaking it until God comes out. It's not doing all these radical things that sometimes we think we need to do. It's really very basic and very simple. We need to change the way that we are processing, that we are thinking, and the condition of our soul. Because when we got saved, the Bible says that if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody agree with that? That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17. We know that verse. But it says if every man's in Christ, he's a new creation. If you don't understand that it was your spirit that got changed, but your soul was left in the exact same condition after you got born again. It didn't change at all. And your body did not change at all. Now, there could be a miracle where there could be some things that change immediately. But just generally speaking... Your spirit changes, but the rest of you has to uh, really come under submission to the word of God, come under submission to the Lord, and then you'll start to see those things change the way that they're supposed to. I don't know about you, but I like, I like having victory in life. And this is one of those kind of things, and I've had times like this, and we'll have times like this in the future where people are struggling, and I'll say, man, you're going to have breakthrough. God's going to break through today. Today is your day. Come to the altar. Pray this prayer. Shout amen. And man, everybody's excited, and it's like hallelujah. You go out. You feel charged. You feel ready to go. But then about like two days or, or two minutes maybe, but at some period of time, you find yourself slipping right back into the same situation that you got prayed to get set free from. And you go, man, I guess the prayer didn't work. No, the prayer worked, but there was things that needed to be changed on the inside in your soul so you can hang on to what it was that God did for you and in you and to you. Amen. So this, is, this really is the difference between someone who lives in victory and somebody who doesn't live in victory. And take it from me, I've had plenty of uh, months and years in my life where I did not live in victory like I needed to. And the way that I started to walk in victory wasn't hitting the altar every time it was open and having someone wave their hand over me and boom, everything changed. I've received prayer. I've received impartation. I've had people speak words over me, all that. And I, I do that for people. But where the rubber really meets the road is when you, you can go in and you can do the warfare, if you will, in your mind and start to pull out the things that don't belong there and begin to put in the things that do belong there. This is just like it talks about Jesus, uh, if I can remember how he, how he phrased it, but basically, you know, whenever, whenever the demons come out, if the house isn't filled, then they'll come back seven times worse. So sometimes people will, will work to, you know, like 
get rid of this thought and cast down that thought and, and take hold of the devil in this area and cast him out in this area and bind him in this area and loose him in this area or whatever the word. But then when it comes down to the way we're thinking, the way we're processing, the, the area of our soul, our mind, will, emotions, and conscience, and I'm going to get into those in just a moment, we don't do anything concerning that. And that really is, that is the difference maker. And so if we will change those areas of thinking, then we'll start to see success in our life. Does this make, does this make sense to everybody? I'm, I'm trying to overstate it and oversimplify it so that we, po- we can't possibly miss it. Every single area in, in my life where I find myself thinking wrong, believing wrong, acting wrong, it always comes back to an area in my soul that I need to change. It's either in the way that I think, thinking I believe is pretty much always involved, but it could be an area of the will, the emotions, or the conscience. And so I'm going to talk about those things here for just a minute. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. If we can pull Hebrews 5 and verse 14 up there, that would be great. And I want you to see this here, and this is in the middle of a lot, but just uh, for time's sake, we're just going to look at this one, one verse. It says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is... Those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, when you look up this word senses, it's talking about like like mental activity. It's talking about the way that you think, the way that you process information. And when you read this in context of of that chapter and the chapter after it, it really is also talking, talking about your mind, but also your conscience. And I believe your emotions, your will, every part of your soul. And it's saying that by reason of use have their senses and that's talking, again, about the way that you, you think, exercise to discern. And that word discern there, this is really important. You can write this down. It means a judicial estimation. And so we should have our soul in, in such condition that when things are presented to us, when thoughts come to us, when words are spoken to us, we have our senses trained. We have our mind trained. We have our will trained. We have our emotions trained. We have our conscience trained that when something comes to us, we can look at it and automatically make a judgment because now our soul, our senses, if you will, the way that we think has been trained to automatically respond the correct way instead of responding or reacting the wrong way. So when something comes to you, we, we should, you and I should be at a place to where we can receive information and then immediately make a a judgment on that information. I know we don't, as Christians, we don't like that word judgment, but the word judgment can just mean making an observation. It could just mean making, uh, looking at something, but it also means to make a call. So when something comes to you, you need to be able to determine what you're going to do with what is given to you. You know what I've found is that the more I respond wrong to fearful, bad news, the more the devil seems to throw it my way. But whenever I started responding, and I could name all kinds of areas where I started responding more accurately, it was like he, he was like, oh, well, I can't win this way anymore. I better try a different way. You know, the enemy, he just basically, ha- he has a few tactics that he's really sneaky with, and he primarily works in the area of our, of our soul. And if we're, not, if we're not wise, and we are ignorant of how he works, we'll just, we'll just go into a lifestyle of 
responding incorrectly to information, to things that come to us, thinking that we don't have any ability to overcome it. And the reality is we do have the ability through Christ Jesus on the inside of us to overcome anything that the enemy would bring our way. But, it, but we just have to understand that this is, this is where the battleground, you know, Joyce Meyer has this, this teaching from years ago about the, the battleground is in the mind. And I could not agree with that more. And I would extend that out to all areas of the soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and conscience. But when you have those things come into alignment with the word of God instead of the word of the enemy or the word of your thoughts or the word of your grandmother or the word of your mama or your abusive father or your whatever you want to throw in there, when you get rid of those things and you put in the right things, you'll have the right results in your life. It's a guarantee. This is actually what I'm telling you is a guarantee for success. So if you can just do the work, and then when things come in, and like Liz was saying earlier, we have to know the word. We have to put the word in us. And so once you have the word, then you can take the word, and you can measure whatever else is coming against you and say, actually, that, that doesn't measure up with, with what I'm hearing. I had somebody recently, and I, they didn't mean anything bad or evil by it or whatever, but, but they were basically saying to me, that all teenagers deal and will have to deal with particular kinds of things, and I won't go into the details of what they're saying, because of the time that we live in. And you can think of all of the, the badness out in the world, all the things, the, the drug things, the, the pornography things, the, uh, the homosexuality things, all the different kinds of things. And they were basically saying that all teenagers have to deal with that because that's the time that we live in. And I didn't say it to their face because I understood their, they, they were dealing with pain. And I, didn't want, I wasn't trying to come at them in their pain. But under my breath, I said, in Jesus' name, my teenagers will, will not and do not have to go through everything else that every other teenager is going through. I immediately took that. And instead of going down a track of, of fear, of like, oh, because you can hear words like that. And if you're not careful, they can instill fear in you. It can cause you to begin to believe things different. Now, I'm not... I'm not blinded to the fact that we live in a world that has a, an enormous amount of stuff that's going on. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be exposed to it. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to struggle with things. And you'll find sometimes, and this is a side note, that people that are hurting, they want people oftentimes to relate to them and they'll try to make, uh, make it seem like everybody else has the same problem that they do. I got news for you. You put your mind and your heart and your trust in Jesus and you won't have problems like everybody else does. You can have things come at you, but they don't have to overtake you. They don't have to overrun you. They don't have to destroy you. Because greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. But it's a matter of being very strategic that when things come at you, you know what to do with the things that come at you. Every evil word that rises in judgment, you shall condemn. Every evil word that rises in judgment, you shall condemn. How do you know what's an evil word? It's anything and it may not be coming from an evil person or an evil heart, but anything that's opposite of what God's word says. You just simply say, nope, that's not what the word says. I'm not going to believe that, and I cast that down. And you may not need to be like Jesus where you say, get behind me, Satan, you know, if it's somebody saying it to you. But under your breath, you could do that. Or you could walk away from that conversation. But I've had times when people were so persistent, I'll, I'll stop them and say, I do not agree with what you're saying right now. I'm not going to receive your words. I'm not going to receive them in my heart. And I'm not going to receive them in my life. And I'm not receiving them over my family. I know what God says. I know the world that we live in. I know there's a lot of rotten stuff in the world. But I'm also choosing not to think on, meditate, or entertain those things in my mind. 
my will, my emotions, or my conscience. I refuse those things, and I'm going to think on and put my, set my soul in a place to prosper according to the word of God. Amen. And when we do that, it says, going back to the, to the, the first verse in 3 John, it says that, I, that you would prosper and be in health just as or accordance to or equal to how your soul prospers. So the way we prosper in every area in life has to do with the way our soul is measuring up to the word of God and, and dismantling and throwing away all of the things that are opposite of what God's word says. And sometimes the warfare is very intense. But the warfare is intense not because we don't have uh, victory over the enemy and we don't have authority over the enemy, but it's because we've been in a pattern for so long of fear, of worry, of anxiety, of depression, or whatever it is, that it's so easy for the enemy to come in and hit us, hit us in that place. And sometimes the initial stance of saying no, I'm not going to think that way. No, I'm not going to believe that way. It can be really difficult. And I've been there with things to where everything in me, when, when I would have things come against, against me, certain fears and, and particular things, everything in me naturally, but we're not just natural people, amen, we're supernatural people, but everything in me naturally wanted to go back down that road. But that's when I had to raise a standard on the inside and say, no, devil, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to speculate about that. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to fear over that. I'm not getting into depression. I'm not getting into sadness. I'm going to choose to think and believe the right way. And when you do that over a consistent period of time, you'll win. You will win. You will overcome anything that's coming after you. Amen. Hallelujah. And this, and this is, I'm being very general because this could cover a wide range of things. What has God spoken to you? What has he revealed to you? What has he made known to you? What promise has he given you for your situation that you need to take hold of and say, nope, I'm not going to believe any other report than what God's, than God, what God's word says. This is why we're called, we're called to be faith people. We're called to believe God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to talk about the area of the will. Is everybody, everybody with me? You're tracking with me. Say, I'm going to apply this in Jesus' name. And I'm going to live in victory. Because I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Amen. So I want to talk about the, the will. And so when I mentioned the mind, and it's been a little bit ago when I mentioned it, I talked about the mind being how we process uh, information. Apparently, I made three words out of information, but how we process uh, information. And so, again, all of this comprises what our soul is. And so, as our soul prospers, so does the rest of our life. So, not only do we have a mind, but we also have a, a, a will. And our will is a combination, and you can write this down, this will really help you, a combination of... Um, our obedience and our willingness. And so this is something, I've shared this a little bit with you all, that the Lord really dealt to me this, this uh, past year and even the year before it started. And, and I, there was things that he was asking me to do, and God's always asking me to do things. He asks all of us to do things, whether it's personal or something in ministry or to help somebody or whatever it is. And we have a choice whether we will obey that. And I've always been a very obedient son. I've been a very, I, I, I don't just see the Lord as my, 
as my father, I also see him as my master. And when he tells me, and he's a good master, amen? And when he tells me to do something, it's yes, sir. But I discovered something that I, I was obedient, but I often was not willing. And see, you can do something. You ever had a kid that you told to do something and they did it, but they were not really willing to do it? They just did it because they... Probably not because they really had an obedient heart, but they just didn't want disciplined or spanked or whatever it was. Anybody, anybody ever been there with their kids? Amen. And so, you know, the Lord deals like that with us sometimes. And then also you can have people on the other side of it to where they're willing, but they're not obedient. And so really obedience is follow through. Willingness is just, a, just desire. So inside of our will needs to be set a desire to do what the Lord wants us to do and follow through. Because I've had other times when I've been willing to do something, but then when it got difficult, I wanted to shrink back and not finish the course because things got difficult. And if I had done that or when I had done that at different times, then I became disobedient. And if you can set your willingness, your desire in action to line up with the Lord's will and you obey that, that when you do that, you're putting your will in alignment with his will. And what happens is you'll, you'll reap the best in your life. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19, if we can pull this up here. I love this verse. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I don't know about you, but I want to eat the good of the land that God has for me. But it's not just being obedient and it's not just being willing, but it's being both of those. I had somebody send me a, a message by a minister, and he was doing a TV pro program, and he had been doing it for uh, years, and he was doing weekly, and then he changed to uh, a daily program. And he didn't even like doing the weekly program, and when the Lord spoke to him to do a daily, he was like, oh, I don't even want to do this. And so for years, he did it. He was obedient. And he was talking about this very same thing, like at the same time that God was revealing this to me, that, that Kent, sometimes you're very obedient, but you're not willing, and so you're missing out on part of the blessing. And so it really hit home with me. But he was saying that he came across this verse, the Lord highlighted this to him, and the Lord said, son, you are obedient to do what I've told you to do, but you are unwilling to do it. And he said, Lord, I repent. And all the people that were helping him with his television program, he came in the next day and he's like, praise God, I love doing this television program. And I love doing this ministry. And they were all like, what in the world? And he began to do that for a period of time. And then right after that, supernaturally, their ministry just totally exploded. Why? Because he was not only obedient, but he was willing. And if we are going to have our will in alignment with the will of the Father, let me just see a show of hands. Who in here wants to accomplish God's will in their life? Amen. Every hand in here. Everybody wants to accomplish God's will. If you, you believe anything about the Lord at all, you'll know that he's got the best for us. It's not just a matter of saying, God, I'll do whatever you want, but it's saying, Lord, I will do whatever it is that you want. It's having that willing heart to say, Father, not only will I obey you, but I'll do it. And I'll have desire, I'll have joy on the inside. And, you know, let me just give you one more thing about this. If the Lord's told you to do something, you know you're supposed to do something, and you, you're lacking desire, then what you do is you simply pray and ask the Lord to give you a desire. I mean, he's faithful to do that. I've had things where he's told me, he's told me to do it, and I was totally lacking desire, 
And I was missing out on, again, the benefit because I was willing to do it, but I just didn't have a, de have a desire. And, you know, when you have a desire, it makes it joyful. It makes it fun. It makes it, it, makes it worth doing. Amen? And I've, I could go through a whole list of things where I've had to, you know, leading worship is one of those things to where we've been, you know, gone through different seasons. We're in one now to where I'm having to lead worship a lot. But who cares? It should be a joy. And I've, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, I, I need I need you to instill in me a willingness to lead worship. I love to worship, but leading is a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother animal, if you will. And when you go and lead worship and you preach in one Sunday, Liz will tell you, I'll go home and I'll, I'll be wiped out and sleep for hours sometimes because it pulls so much. So it's not my most favorite thing to do. But you know what? I, I, I asked the Lord, Lord, I'm asking you to give me a willingness. And you know what? I, the last couple times I've led a worship, it's been like, man, I really enjoy doing this. I really enjoy this. And you know what? No matter what, I get to worship Jesus. And even when I play wrong chords and when I sing wrong notes and when the band doesn't play together, who gives a rip? We get to be in the presence of God. Who cares? It can't get any better than that. Amen? That's a good way to be. So next I'm going to talk about um, our emotions. And I'm going to try not to hang here too long because I want to hit, um, hit our conscience as, as well talking about that. But our emotions, and this is the way I describe our emotions, is it's our Internal, internal uh, indicator. And so our emotions are, one of the things that's really important to know about our emotions is that they are God-given. God gave us emotions. Remember at the beginning when I said, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. God gave us emotions. I said, God gave us emotions. Amen. So use them right now. Express something to me, please. So they are God-given, and we've heard a lot of teaching over the years, and I, I know that I heard a lot of teaching over the years that almost made me think, and I don't think it was the intention of the teaching, but it almost made me think like emotions are bad. No, emotions aren't bad. Emotions are good, but they're supposed to be the caboose. They're not supposed to be the engine. And I don't know if you've ever been in a time in your life where you've been around certain people to where everything they do, they're, they're totally led by their emotions. And if you find somebody that's led by their emotions, they are going to be derailed, I can, I can guarantee you. But on the flip side to it, when you find somebody that doesn't, that doesn't know how to utilize their emotions, uh, they're missing out on the benefits that God and the reason why God gave us emotions. There, I heard it put this way one time, that the emotions are the spice of life. Imagine, if you could, what it would be like to have no emotion in, in life. It would, be it would be horrible to talk to people. It would be horrible, horrible to communicate. I mean, you know, we, there would be no joy. I mean, there would be no sadness, I guess, but there wouldn't be any joy. And, and that's the things that we, that's why we live life. Those are the enjoyable things about life. And so emotions are from God, and they're good, but they're not supposed to be the thing that's in charge. It's supposed to be an indicator of what's taking place on the inside of us. And so you could look at it like this. It's like, a, it's like a check engine light that might come on in your vehicle. And if you have a check engine light come on in your vehicle, now if your vehicle is more than like 10 or 12 years old, you're probably like, nah. It comes on often. Let's just ride this thing out and see how it goes. But, you know, when you get a new, newer vehicle and, you know, it comes on, then you go, oh, I need to take this thing and have it looked at because there's something that's going on on the inside that's not correct. And so when you can look at your emotions and you find yourself out of whack, you find yourself in fear. Fear is an emotion. It can be more than that. It's a spirit, but it will manifest as an emotion. You find yourself in fear, in worry, in, in doubt, 
and uh, depression, all of those things are tied to our emotions. They can be more than emotions, but our emotions are, are tied to them. And when you find yourself acting that way, then what you should do is step back and go, oh my gosh, my check engine light is coming on. It's indicating that there's something wrong inside of my soul. There's something wrong inside of my thinking, and I need to go in and have the Lord make some adjustments on the inside of me. And that's why God has given us our emotions. So we can enjoy the good ones, but when the bad ones come up, it will indicate that there's something else going on. This can tell us a lot. You know, if you're, if you're in fear and you're dreading and you're speculating, those kind of things, it can, it can point to, and those are all emotions, and it can point to that you're in fear about something and you're not in faith about something. And your, our emotions are supposed to confirm the word of the Lord. And so it's right to, in fact, it's actually strange if you have a word from the Lord, if you're reading the word, and it doesn't ever come to a place to where it hits your emotions. That's part of faith. And I've heard taught different probably for a lot of years, honestly, that we're not led by our emotions, and that's true, we're not. And maybe I just took it wrong. But whenever you take something and you choose to believe it, when your believer is believing and you continue to believe that word and speak that word and believe that word and speak that word, eventually your emotions will come in line and it will cause your entire system to go the direction that it's supposed to go. Your emotions, when they, when they are in, in alignment, will cause you to go either a direction that's good or a direction that's bad. And we know this because, you know, worry is an, is an emotion. And when you get into worry, you get into stress. And everybody knows, um, we could have probably proved it from the word anyways, but everybody knows scientifically speaking. And what the medical professionals have told us is that when you stress it causes problems in your physical body. There's all kinds of blood pressure, heart condition. I've heard cancer being linked to it, all kinds of things that when you're stressed, that it will cause physical problems in your body. Well, what is stress? It's just being in fear. It's being in worry. And what's happened is that your emotions are going that way, and it's, it's ultimately producing death. It's producing the wrong stuff in your life. But the opposite is true. That if we will have our emotions come in line, oh my gosh, this is so powerful, come in line with the word of God and come in line with truth and in faith, we will get the results that way instead. Because when your emotions are aligned with what is true, then you will produce in your life the life of God in whatever area that you need it. Man, that's powerful. And it's, and it's really just, it's almost like a, it's almost like the, the, the edge of the sword, and like this way is really horrible, and this way is really, really awesome. And so when our emotions, when we are faced with something and our emotions are, are out of whack and we're worrying and we're fretting, immediately we should be going, wait a second here, there's something wrong in my believer, and I need to go on the inside, and I need to start thinking different, I need to renew my mind according to the word, and then so I can have the word results in my life. Praise God. Man, this is good stuff. Amen. This, this could really, really set people free, totally set people free. Because God, he didn't, you know, the enemy perverts everything. He didn't create anything. He perverts everything. And all the negative, wrong, bad, opposite emotions that we experience 
that all came from the perversion of the devil. Um, there's a lady named, and I, I can't possibly say it how she does, but a lady named Carolyn Leaf, and I've mentioned this briefly before, but she's got, um, uh, she's one of the few maybe medical professionals that I really enjoy listening to. I know there's several that are good, but she's got this whole teaching. Um, it's based on the word, but basically what she teaches is that we are hardwired, and they, she has medical proof that we are hardwired for love which means we're hardwired for faith. We're hardwired for all the things of God. And when we speak and think and believe and our emotions and everything are in opposition to that, it literally physically rewires our brain and does physical things in our physical body. This is, she has proof of this. It's not just somebody just saying this. She's got all this medical proof of it, but she brings all of it back to the way you bring healing to your body, the way you start to see turnaround to your body, to your thinking, to all that kind of stuff, is you start to operate and get in love, get in faith, get in the word. And when you have that working in you and your emotions start to go that way, then you'll get the results of that. Man, this is, this is like, this is the answer for so many people that are sitting in this room. And I, I'm not sure if, you, if you're getting it, I think you're getting it. You might need to go back and just hear it again because I've had to hear these things a lot myself. But if you can get this, you don't, ever, you don't ever have to be sick another day in your life. You don't have to be depressed another day in your life. You don't have to live underneath of any circumstances for one more day in your life. Because the soul, you prosper in your life as according to how your soul prospers. Praise God. The last thing I want to hit here is the, the conscience and this is something that is so in, important to me, and, and I have, I, sometimes I find, I find it hard to really be able to explain the conscience, but I do know this, that if your conscience is seared or defiled or evil or unclean, any of those kind of things, it will, it will, it's very closely tied to your will, and it will cause you to go a direction that you, you don't need to go or don't want to go. And so your conscience, this is, this is what, and I'm giving you definitions from my studies in the word and from my, my experience with, with being able to dissect these things out and having the Holy Spirit help me be able to do that. And so if you don't agree with these definitions, that's your business. I'm telling you what's working for me. So your conscience, unlike your emotions, is an internal indicator. Your conscience is your, your internal decision maker. And so people are going to ultimately make decisions based on the level of their conscience. And this is why you can see somebody that has a seared conscience and they'll do some of the evil things that, that they would do when probably everybody sitting here in this room would never even think about doing some of the things that other people would do. Why? What's the difference? We have a conscience that's good and that wants to do good things, whereas other people have a seared conscience and they can go and murder, they can go and do the, the things that they would do, and they almost don't think anything of it. And it's because they've been going that direction for so long. They've trained their thinking that way that their conscience has become okay with it. And I would propose to you, without going in too deep here, that there has been a lot of 
um, there's been a lot of things. Let me just say it this way. There's been a lot of things in life that have trained us in particular ways that we have standards set that are not necessarily accurate because they've been set by the world. They've been set by our parents. They've been set by religion. They've been set by whatever. And it's not actually God's standard that we're living by, but our conscience. And we get confused. We say, oh, God told me to do this, or God wants me to do this, or God allowed me to do this. And we, we think it's the Lord, but it's really our conscience being the decision maker. And God gave us our conscience so that when things come in, it acts like a judge to say that's wrong and this is right. This is okay. This is not okay. God gave us that. This is, goes back to the, the verse in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 where it says having your senses trained to make a judicial estimation or to make a judgment that you see something, you examine it, and you say this is okay. But the problem comes in is if our conscience is not in good condition, then the decisions that we make are not in good standing. So it's extremely important to understand that when Jesus came, in fact, this is going to be a huge statement, but this is different than how we've probably maybe been taught or been trained or thought. But I believe the main reason that Jesus came to die, I'll say it was to save us from hell. I believe that first and foremost, and that we could just spend eternity with him. But it's also so that we would have a clean conscience. Because see, some people, they don't have an evil conscience like they're doing evil things, but they do have a defiled conscience because they don't feel like they're living good enough. And if your conscience is heavy all the time, how can you ever properly stand with a prosperous soul when you always think that you're never doing good enough to please God or anybody else? But when you realize that Jesus came in to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve him, think about that. He came to, and we're going to look at these verses, he came to cleanse our conscience from dead works, and I believe from evil works, from all kinds of things, so that our level of, of our indicator, not just, excuse me, not our indicator, but our decision maker is set properly. To where when things come at us, we go, no, I'm not going to respond to that because my conscience has been made clean. And devil, you can't make me, you can no longer make me feel guilty for the things that I did in my past because Jesus has wiped me clean and my conscience is clean before God. And so you can't hold anything over me. When we get our decision maker set right, it will change. It will change everything about our life. And, you know, a lot could be said about having like a, like a seared conscience. If you want to, again, you want to know why people do some of the evil things that they do? It's because they've been thinking and believing and doing that way so long that they can do it and it doesn't even, it doesn't even bother them. But when you give your life to Christ and you, you ask him, and I'm going to start doing this more. I'm going to start doing this all the time. When I lead somebody to the Lord, I'm going to pray specifically about their conscience being set back the way that it's supposed to be. And I know it can be a process of learning and different things like that, and we have to continue to do that to have our conscience set right. But I'm going to start praying over people when they first get born again that their conscience gets set right. Because what you find are two extremes. You'll find people that have an evil conscience because they've been out in the world doing all kinds of crazy weird stuff, and they come into relationship with the Lord, and they're still doing all the crazy weird stuff because their level of what's acceptable is set way down here. But then you have people that come in, 
that have been in religion for so long, and they're, they're so legalistic that, that their conscience is also set at a level that's incorrect, and they're in a works mentality. But what we need to do is we need to come into alignment with the Lord to where the things that were once acceptable but were evil, the Lord says, no longer are you doing that because that's not correct. And also the things that we were striving for to try to become right with God, we come into alignment with him, and he says, no longer are you striving. Now you're made clean before me. And when we know this, we live from that place and the enemy can't mess with us anymore. Man, that's awesome. I want to show you two verses here that depict this. First Peter, and then we're going to quit. First Peter chapter 3. Anybody getting some good stuff out of this? Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, there is also an anti-type, which I don't have a whole lot of time to explain this, but let me say quickly, when it's talking about an anti-type, this is talking about in the days of, of Noah, that Noah, that the world was saved through the flood, but it was the water that actually brought the destruction that ended up saving the world. And that's why it's called an anti-type because baptism, it's talking about baptism here and in the picture of water baptism, which reflects the true baptism on the inside when we get born again, the water doesn't save, but it actually heals and brings life and brings salvation. That's what it means when it's talking about an anti-type. It's a type, but it's an opposite type. So there is also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism. And again, this is in context of when he's talking about Noah and stuff. Not the removal, listen to this, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What this is saying here is at least in part, the reason for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so that we can have a good conscience. Man, that's, that's powerful. Let's look here, and, and this says it even better. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Let's look at Hebrews 9 and 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your flesh? No, no, no. Cleanse your marriage. No, no, no. Cleanse your eternal. No. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If that doesn't tell you how important our conscience is, I don't know what does. It says that the, that the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit is given to cleanse our conscience. And that means exactly what I was saying to where we no longer have an evil conscience when we come into Christ to do things that are evil because it's seared. And we no longer have a legalistic conscience to try to work, to perform, to get God to accept us. Because now we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And we have a good conscience and good standing with the Lord. Man, thank you. I felt like everybody should have said that was so good. Because that's really powerful. Man. Man, this, you want to prosper in your life? You want to prosper in... In your health, you want to prosper in your marriage, you want to prosper in your finances, you want to prosper in everything, this is how you do it. You start to take, we have the three parts, and I'm not going to take time to write it up here, but our spirit, our soul, and our body, it has to be sealed in us, in our thinking, that our spirit man is totally, there's nothing else that needs to be done in our spirit man. Sometimes when people say, you know, my, and I, I get what they're saying, and I don't, you know, I don't dance around and wrangle about with words like I used to, I'm, I've matured a little bit, but when people say things like, like my spirit is just grieved or my spirit was just filthy or whatever. I think, no, it wasn't actually. You got born again and it was sealed until the very day of redemption. Your, your spirit, it's a done deal. It has all the life, the fullness, the presence of God. It has everything in it. And I can give you 20 scripture verses that say that. But it's the area of our soul that has to be changed and transformed if we are going to see what's on the inside manifest on the outside. 
Hallelujah. And the benefit to knowing that it's on the inside is that God already gave it to us and he's not withholding any good thing from us. So when I go to the Lord, I don't say, God, will you give me? I don't, I don't ask God for joy. I mean, there might be some occasion where I'll ask for a specific touch, but basically I don't ask God for joy. I don't ask him for peace. I don't pray for peace. You know why? Because it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, so on. Why would I ask God for something that he's already given to me? Because you, some people say, well, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, and he'll never take him away from us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We have all of those things. Other people say, well, that's the fruit of the human spirit, the born-again human spirit. Then there you go. You have all of those things on the inside of you. Why would you ask for something that God has already given you? I don't ever ask the Lord to heal me. I hear people pray this way all the time. Lord, will you heal so-and-so? God, will you? I never ask that. Why would I ask for something that God, it's, and it's easy to know his will when he's already given it to you. You know, my, my, my kids got a new trampoline. When we moved, we said, bless God, we're buying them a trampoline. Do you know that my kids have never questioned my will for them and their trampoline? You know why? Because I already gave it to them. They never go outside and go, I don't even know if dad wants me to have it. Dad, will you? Oh, please give me a trampoline. If they did that to me, I would say, you knucklehead, go out there and jump on it. And I think the Lord does the same thing with us when we're asking and we're begging and we're pleading and saying, please give this. And all he's saying is renew your mind, change the way your soul is, in, is operating, is thinking, is believing, is, is directed towards what it's meditating on. Change that and you'll, ha you'll have all the stuff that you need in your life. Amen. That's why whenever people, sometimes they'll hear me teach on the faith and they'll be like, oh, you're one of those slot machine Christians. You can just go in and just say what you want and God will give it. No, he's already given it. it it's already a done deal. I don't have to twist God's arm. That's the difference between grace and faith. And you know what? When you get all of getting all of this in line, that equals faith. All of this in line with the word of God, that's what faith is. It's not pry bar faith where you got to be like, you know, you go in. And that's why all of the things that, that some of you may have not experienced this, but I know I have just, I mean, pounding and doing things. And there can be a, a place of taking authority. But most of that stuff, I don't even do that stuff anymore. I'll declare the word of the Lord over situation or whatever. But I declare it not to remind him, but to remind me. I need to remind me of God's goodness. I need to remind me of God's faithfulness. I need to remind me of the promises that he's made to me. And when I do that enough, I get my mind, my will, my emotions, and my conscience lined up in God's grace, which is what he's already freely given to us, manifest in our life. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.